0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, it's Erica. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of In Doubt. Why is it that so many people today get offended super easily, even going out of their way to find something to be offended about? At times, it feels like you can't share even the most mild opinion, for fear that someone around you will get upset. This week, Isaac is going to be speaking with pastor and author Scott Salls about just that, the prevalence of outrage culture in our society today. Whether it was a Tweet or Facebook post from 10 seconds or 10 years ago, we as a society seem to take pleasure in tearing down anyone who says anything we disagree with, even if that means taking things out of context. Is that how we as Christians are called to respond? Is that what love looks like? We're so happy you're here to listen as Isaac and Scott talk about a biblical response to this issue, as well as why gentleness may be the ultimate secret weapon to combating a cancel culture in today's society. We hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hey, welcome to InDoubt. My name is Isaac, one of the hosts at InDoubt. And with me on the show today is pastor and author Scott Saul. So thanks so much for being here with us, Scott.
2: Pleasure to be with you, Isaac.
1: Um, for, for my own sake and also for the sake of all of our, our faithful listeners, why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are? How did you, how did you come to know, uh, Jesus Christ? Um, and also where has God placed you? So maybe go from your testimony all the way up to where you are now, you know, in a, in a short period of time, cause I'm sure there's not a lot to say.
2: <laughs> sure. I, I, became a, uh, believer and in and follower of Christ. Uh, in my college years, I was actually introduced to the gospel uh, late in high school, and and it sort of stayed with me until my heart followed what was in my head um, based on a disappointment uh, related to a relationship that didn't work out with a girl in college. And so it just kind of sent me into a, a bit of a a tailspin, and God had just put some young Christian men in my life who, you know, sort of welcomed me into their life and community. And that's sort of how I met uh, the Lord and and began the walk of discipleship was, was toward the end of my college years. And since that time, I have gotten married to my wife now of 25 years. Her name is Patty. We have two daughters, uh, Abby, who's a senior in college, Ellie, who's a senior in high school, both of whom are doing school at home uh, for their last semester because of COVID-19.
1: Yeah.
2: All that goes with that. And we are currently uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church. I've been in that role for eight years now. And over the course of those eight years, I've written five books, uh, which is— uh, a little bit hard to believe that I've had that much to say. <laughs> I don't I don't really think think of myself as someone who has that much to say, but but uh, I've got five published books and uh, I guess we're going to talk about one of them in this broadcast. Uh, but before before Nashville I served for several years as a preaching and congregational pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City you know, mentored there by, by Tim Keller, who's probably known by some of your listeners at least. And uh, before that, we planted two two churches, both in the Midwestern United States. And so so that's sort of a broad brush of what got us or got me to where I am right now.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. And I couldn't help but, you know, a few things, takeaways from what you just explained. Uh, it's, it's crazy to see how many testimonies begin with uh, some relationship issue with someone who's like, who's a young adult or whatever. It's amazing what brings someone to church or what, you know, makes people start thinking. So praise God. He works in his sovereign providence in many ways. Um, and also I was going to say, um, I, I appreciate your, you know, your humility when it comes to, uh, writing books. And I was going to say, if you, if you thought the other way that you have so much to say that you got to write, then I'd probably be a little bit more hesitant, uh, with you, but I appreciate your, uh, Humility there, and one of the questions Scott is that um, you know Nashville. I mean, it's the hub where Lifeway is at, and and lots of churches down there. What what is it like preaching in in Nashville?
2: Uh, you know, really, I mean, like any other city that's filled with culture. Um, you know, you've got a, a mix of of all kinds of people from all kinds of places and perspectives. It's actually a very one of the things that brought us here was how refreshingly cosmopolitan and diverse it is and you know coming out of new york uh especially uh nashville is sort of on the the front end of a bit of a of a renaissance of of becoming a a different kind of city it used to be you know what they call the buckle of the bible belt and it's swiftly becoming what uh, they now call the third coast and uh you know there's a a very significant migration here from cities like New York, Washington, DC, Boston, and then on the West Coast, cities like Seattle, San Francisco, uh, you know, Los Angeles, et cetera. There's just a lot of creativity coming here, a lot of industry coming here. There's, you know, three major universities. You know, it's it's known as one of the the central hubs globally of healthcare research. Uh, and, you know, state government is here, and so there's, a, you know, and of course, arts and entertainment, and so there's just a lot happening here culturally, which is, which is the environment that we were sort of groomed and mentored in, and so it, it's felt like a very natural fit.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, and I, I can imagine that as a, as a pastor, being in a place with such diversity um, you there's a lot on your hands and uh, I'm sure you have a good team and a, obviously your family uh, that helps back you up in all that, that you do. So that's great. Uh, Scott, your most recent book this year is A Gentle Answer and with the subtitle, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. Now, instead of just kind of hearing just a quick summary of what this book is about, maybe we could begin with just explaining what you mean by an us-against-them culture. What What is that? Um, and also, could you give us some examples of what you mean by this, this us-against-them culture?
2: Well, us-against-them culture, uh, some have called it a culture of outrage. Uh, one New York Times writer, Tim Crider, call, calls it outrage porn, and uh, he's essentially talking about how Intoxicating and attractive, it seems to be to so many of us. To to be constantly on the, the lookout for something to be offended by, he says. We love to feel right, and we love to feel wronged uh, by somebody else. And it doesn't really take much convincing, especially if you're in the United States. And I know you're calling in from Canada, but but, but uh, you know in, in the United States there is so much polarization that the word polarization is overused. Hmm. And, you know, on social media, they they call it cancel culture, where people are, you know, shaming and canceling each other out uh, for, you know, things that they may have been involved with 30 years ago. Uh, And I don't know, just the impulse to judge and punish seems to be at an all-time high, or at least it feels that way in Western American culture in particular. And then, you know, add to that a very, what will, what promises to be a very controversial election season coming up in late 2020 here in the States. And, you know, you've got this, you know, climate of, of, you know, everything that I'm describing right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, uh, things that happen in culture, I mean, the church is in culture, because we're not, you know, some monasteries, Uh, we're in culture, and obviously, things in culture affect the church. So how, in what ways have you seen this, us against culture affect the church? Well, uh,
2: you know, unfortunately, that the church can often get infected by ideas and ways of thinking that are much more worldly than they are of Christ. And I, I think that in, in, some pockets at least this is proven to be true that you know if you you take the amount of time that those who identify as christian for instance spend in you know focused spiritual formation endeavors bible reading prayer uh, small group community worship with a local church etc take the amount of time that the average professing christian spends on those endeavors relative to the average amount of time that a professing Christian spends watching cable news or scrolling through a news feed to check up on the latest you know, in politics and, and, and so on, I think you'll find discouragingly that there will be many who identify as followers of Christ, but they're actually allowing themselves to be discipled more by the culture than they are by Jesus. And more bipartisan politics than by the kingdom of God, and and so it's a concern. It's woven its way into the church. You know, Emma Green of the Atlantic has has written a, an article. I think it's called "Taming Christian Rage." Uh, and so, you know, she's just observing that you know people of faith are not exempt from getting sucked into it all.
1: Yeah, of course, and and maybe this is this is obvious, and obviously for you. Having written a book on this idea, this topic and and being well acquainted, maybe just make it very clear for us what are those problems that this us against them culture produces, especially in the church? like what is it that uh, we must see starkly and that we must learn to you know fight against, which obviously we'll get into what the antidote is in a moment, but what are the clear problems with this us against culture? Well, a clear problem
2: with it from a Christian perspective is that if we're easily offended, then we're not acting in love because First Corinthians 13 says that love is not easily offended. If we are characteristically offensive, then we're out of line with Scripture as well because Scripture tells us that as far as it depends on us, we should live at peace with all people. And so, you know, and the third reason is just a, a pragmatic reason and that is that it is woefully unpersuasive to assume a scolding finger-pointing posture toward those who don't think as you do and you know i've i've been a you know ordained minister for 26 years 25 26 years now and a follower of christ for about 32 years of my life and i i've still never met a single person who would say that they came into a relationship with Christ because a Christian or group of Christians scolded them, lectured them, shamed them, told them how wrong they were. Uh, I've met scores and scores of people with the story of Christian people and groups of Christian people loving me and being kind to me in spite of myself and welcoming me into their life and into their community. I've Lots and lots of stories there, but I still haven't met a person who said they got scolded into the kingdom. And so it's not effective. It's not fruitful.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. that's a good point. It's clear, and uh, I appreciate you know bringing up the word from First Corinthians thirteen. That's that's true. I, I appreciate that. So, Scott, the the moment that we've been waiting for is like, what have you found to be the way forward in this? Um, what is that antidote to this kind of culture? What is it that you'd love to see Christians? You know take up in arms and 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 really move forward in
2: uh it's like Proverbs tells us a gentle answer turns away wrath uh, like Jesus tells us he is meek and humble in heart you know one of the psalms uh, I can't remember which one it is but I was reading it earlier this week uh, where the psalmist prays Lord your gentleness has made me great Galatians five the fruit of the spirit is gentleness I think that Gentleness is a Christian virtue that is also a missional opportunity. Uh, I think that these days, the most uh, convincing apologetic for Christianity is not that we have watertight arguments. The most convincing apologetic is that that our lives uh, are found to be beautiful, compellingly so and curiously so by Virtue of how we live counterculturally. You know, the, the writer Madeline Langle once said, We draw people to Christ not by telling them how right we are and how wrong they are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they can't help but ask the source of it. And I, I think a great example right now is the renewed popularity of Mr. Rogers. You know, from Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. And, you know, last couple of years, has been a very, you know, popular documentary about his life, uh, as well as a Hollywood film starring Tom Hanks as Mister Rogers. And there seems to be this this new surge of of people who can't get enough of Mister Rogers. And and what's his defining feature? He's a gentle man. His three favorite words were "I like you." You know, he he was known as characteristically kind, and and. Uh, I I wonder, there's a part of me that wonders if if there's such an attraction in broader culture to this man, who incidentally was a follower of Christ and a Presbyterian pastor, if there's such a a draw to this man, uh, I wonder if the fruit of gentleness might actually be one of our greatest opportunities in a climate like the one we're in right now to witness faithfully to the person and work of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's huge, and and you know, just for our listeners to know, you mentioned Proverbs, but even just in the the kind of the famous fruits of the spirit in Galatians five, that gentleness is listed there. Scott, what is gentleness not? As you've kind of looked into what gentleness is, what is gentleness not? Gentleness is not wimpy.
2: It is not roll over and be a doormat. Uh, it, it, there's actually a very fierce internal quality that comes with gentleness you know i i suppose that that uh you know mr rogers again is a is a great example of this because what drove his gentle posture toward children was actually pain and anger Uh, he had pain because he was bullied as a child for being overweight Uh, his peers called him fat fred and it created great pain for him and he was also angry because he felt like children and children's voices and ideas were not taken seriously enough by adults and that really upset him and it was those two things his pain and his anger that drove him to you know his hatred for evil things that drove him to advance the good through this gentle posture of his and actually the book is laid out uh, a gentle answer is laid out in into eight chapters and the first 3 chapters are just, you know, different perspectives on how the gentleness of Christ is a gift that Christ has, has given to us. He befriends the sinner in us. He reforms the Pharisee in us. He disarms the cynic in us. But then the last uh, five chapters, which are really about how his gentleness changes us, might be the titles of the chapters might be surprising for a book on gentleness. Because, the, you know, the titles are, you know, we grow thicker skin, we do anger well. Uh, we receive criticism graciously. We forgive all the way, and we bless even our own betrayers. And you know, the fruit of gentleness again is is formed through very gutsy, you know, internal work that that is not for the faint of heart. And uh, you know, you even think about Christ at his shining moment, his greatest moment of torment was also his greatest moment of tenderness when he he's dying on the cross, and he says to the thief on the cross who had just finished mocking him a few moments before, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, uh, you know, when Judas betrays him, he calls Judas a friend, Uh, even to the son of perdition, the man who's betraying him. He says, friend, you know, do what you've come here for. Uh, He prays on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do about his own betrayers and killers. And so it's not, you know, the fruit of gentleness is not a wimpy thing uh, by any stretch. It's one of the greatest displays of strength there can be.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's huge, and that's really helpful. And I think you 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 know hit the nail on the head that I think oftentimes we just, for some reason, we just automatically make gentleness and, you know, use the word wimpy kind of synonymous. But when we're referring it to it in the way that you're talking about it, that's just not true. So I, I do appreciate that, Scott. Um, you mentioned that, you know, how your book is separating these two different ways. So maybe we'll just look at that first one very quickly revolved around Jesus. You mentioned that one aspect about him on the cross, forgiving and showing his this mighty moment, but also his incredible mercy and tenderness. But, you know, what does Jesus and, you know, obviously the good news of his death, resurrection, ascension do to actually enable us and help us become gentle in our own lives?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it boils down to Romans 5.8, you know, where it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still opposed to him, while we were still hostile toward him, while we were still trying to push him out of our lives, that's when Christ died for us. And so if that, that was his response, when, when he would have had every justification to walk away from us for good, he didn't. Uh, instead, he came toward us in mercy. You know, he weeps over Jerusalem, longing to gather rebellious Jerusalem under his wings, like a mother, mother hen gathers her chicks. You know, if, if Christ has that posture toward us at our worst, then then we of all people should be among the least offensive and least offendable people in the world.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Uh, from that then, Scott, as we slowly sort of finish up this first conversation, um, what are some practical ways that we can learn to live with this, you know, Christ-like gentleness. And obviously, you and I, we're, we're living in a time right now, and the, everyone is, uh, with this global pandemic. So and I'm sure you've thought about ways that uh, gentleness works in this kind of atmosphere. So maybe you could even possibly direct these practical ways of learning to be gentle towards this, you know, reality of our pandemic.
2: Yeah, oh, well, I, I think that, you know, one of, the, one of the characteristics that goes along with gentleness is empathy, which you know, has to do with, you know, doing the hard work of learning what it's like to walk in other people's shoes. You know, I love, you know, one of the, the closing lines of the book or the movie Wonder, you know, be kind because every person you meet is fighting a hard hidden battle. You know, I think we can all identify our own hidden battles and struggles. Uh, I think as we walk out into the world, recognizing that every person has struggles like we have struggles, might help with empathy, you know, and you know, just learning to see our neighbor rightly rather than um, falsely judging or caricaturing our neighbor is important. Recognizing that Christ loves our neighbor, and that God created our neighbor, and that our neighbor because of that is fearfully and wonderfully made uh, and is a sacred creature especially when we're looking at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ you know to recognize that you know these are people that that Christ determined were worth dying for and and if that's the case if that's how valuable even the most unsavory human being is you know who am I to treat somebody more poorly than God does and to regard somebody with less esteem than God does it, it speaks a lot about my own hubris and you know my own pride and arrogance if if I'm more harsh towards somebody than God is.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, to, even to add to that, Scott, and uh, you don't have to agree with me here, but I, I've often thought about this too. You talked about pride and arrogance, but I would also include ignorance, specifically when it comes to, you know, maybe holding some sort of grudge or, you know, you wanting wanting some vengeance on a Christian brother or sister, because as I've thought about it, I'm like, well, if they're a Christian, genuinely, um, then, you know, Christ has paid for their sins so my anger and my feelings of need to get revenge over them has no basis. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm trying to point something on them that God says, no, it's it's already finished. It's paid for. Um, so it's even some ignorance in there as well. But uh, I, I do appreciate that. That's good. Uh, Scott, as we as we finish up here, um, I, I'm just wondering if you could just leave us with a, a story. I mean, we all, all of us know, uh, you've already quoted, you know, different stories uh movies and stories like we we love stories and we grow so much with stories. Jesus knew that. He did parables all the time. Can you leave us with maybe a story in your own life, maybe someone else's that really shows us how, you know, a gentle answer really does work to bring about the fruitfulness that our world that our world needs? I think that
2: two more well-known people different examples. Tim Keller is one of them. Tim is often, you know, publicly criticized as every public, you know, thought leader is by his critics. And in five years of working and serving alongside him, I, I never saw him respond even to an unfair criticism with defensiveness, anger, retaliatory remarks, nor did I ever witness him talking about uh his critics in, in any defamatory way. Uh he you know, just had this posture of, of you know, and what he what he would say is, you know, even if there is an unfair criticism that I know is not true, I'm going to still look and see if there might be a kernel of truth in the criticism, which could create an opportunity for me to take it to the Lord and, and repent and receive his grace in a fresh way. So there's him. Uh, Bob Goff is another one. Uh, Bob is, you know, the, the author of Love Does and, you know, many books and, you know, wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, and, you know, when when somebody, you know, criticizes him online, says something insulting online, which happens upon occasion, you know, he'll what he'll do is he'll scroll through their feed and try to learn about them personally and see if he can find any struggles that they might have and he'll pray for the person. And if he can figure out how to get their mailing address, he'll send them a, a cake pop or some other kind of treat, uh, you know, just kind of a gesture of love. Like he's he's like the king of olive branches, of creative olive branches. And so, you know, these are two, you know, two well-known examples of people who, because of their position and stature, could easily write people off, ignore them, or, you know, get in a public shouting match and win with great victory. And yet they don't. So those are a couple of examples that come to mind.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just hearing that is just so refreshing as, and I'm sure our listeners, you know, sense that as well, because it's so countercultural. And that's why I think uh, y- your book is going to be important because it's it's really bringing up this this Christ-like fruit, gentleness, uh, that we desperately need in a, in a culture where even within the church, it's just so easy to, uh, you know, retaliate. And, you know, hearing about the Bob Goff thing, it just almost makes me just laugh because I'm like, that is just so different than how, you know, even Christians sometimes can can think. So um, I appreciate that. Uh, we're, we're done here, uh, listeners. But hey, if you've been listening and you've been encouraged uh, by this conversation, that's great. Praise God. If you want to know more, and I encourage you to want to know more, uh, then I'd encourage you to go to scottsalls.com or Amazon or just search in your Google bar uh, or speak to your Alexa or whatever about A Gentle Answer uh, by Scott Sauls and and pick up his book that's coming out June and um, I'm sure you will enjoy it. And if you're like me, endorsements mean something. So I, when I checked out the endorsements on Scott Saul's book, there's some great endorsements as well. So uh, it's the way I work and I'm sure some, it works for others as well. But hey, to take a look and see what other people are talking about the book as well, uh, it would be encouraging. So Scott, thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back on again.
2: Thank you,
0: Isaac. Who knew outrage culture held such a strong place in our society? Thanks so much to Scott Sauls for having this conversation today and reminding us that gentleness has a much greater impact than we might think. As a culture, we are so quick to become outraged and critical, but a gentle response to anger is what's most needed. If you'd like to learn more about Scott or are interested in any of his books, you can go to scottsauls.com. We'll also have all the links on the episode page at indoubt.ca. If you enjoyed this conversation, you may want to head back to episode 158, where Scott was on a previous episode speaking with Ryan about making your faith stand out. If you've been enjoying the In Doubt podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or send us an email to info at indoubt.ca, letting us know how In Doubt has shaped your worldview or answered some of the toughest questions that life has thrown at you. Thanks again for listening, and make sure to join us next week as Joshua talks with Vanitha Rendell Reisner about the gift of suffering. This will be Joshua's last episode as an In Doubt host, so don't miss it. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.